0: Welcome to the Biz Bash Podcast, where we make biz strategy a piece of cake. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Cammy, but you might know us better as
1: Eliza and Calligraphy and Cami Monet. We want to help you, our fellow stationers, artists, and
0: calligraphers, confidently build a profitable and personality-driven creative biz. We're here to share our honest-to-goodness advice and actionable strategies for ambitious artists. So put on your party hat, quit being a procrastinator gator, and let's get this party started.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to the Biz Bash podcast. Today, we have another amazing guest with us today. And her name is Ashley Kirkwood. We're going to be talking about how to use speaking to grow your business. And y'all are in for a treat because Ashley is awesome. So Ashley runs a law firm and a speaking biz. She is known as the lit lawyer due to her fun legal trainings, like get the tea on trademarks and clap back with contracts, which I am like obsessed with these names right now. (laughs) And she has a law law firm called Mobile General Counsel where she helps entrepreneurs with critical elements of their business, like trademarks, contracts, all that fun stuff that we all hate, but she probably loves. Um, Ashley also trains entrepreneurs how to kickstart their speaking opportunities through her Speak Your Way to Cash podcast. And she's super legit, y'all, like TED Talk legit. Um, She's fun, smart as heck, and we are so excited to have her on today. So welcome to the podcast, Ashley. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. Can you just give us, um, I know I can introduce you a little bit, but can you just tell us a little bit more about your background and how you decided you wanted to practice law?
2: Definitely. So I've always wanted to practice law. Um, I think growing up, my aunt was a lawyer and originally, well, when I was a very little child, I wanted to be a cardiologist because it sounded cool. But (laughs) I do not like math or science. Well, I like math, but I don't really like The bloody, gory nature of science that is required to be a doctor. So I quickly switched to um, having my sights set on being a lawyer. And um, I struggled a little bit in undergrad. So the first time I applied to law school, I didn't get in anywhere. um, And I graduated undergrad with like a 2.1 GPA. So it was extraordinarily difficult to get into law school. But after getting into one law school, I was able to get all A's at my first law school and transfer to Northwestern, which is like a top law school. So I wrote a book called The Law School Hustle about how I was able to transform my academic profile. And ever since then, I've just been in love with the law. It's almost like I just have loved it. It's so interesting. I enjoy it. And I do law a little bit differently. I keep it fun. I infuse my personality. And I love the business owners that I get to help, which I'm proud to say 70% are women. So that's awesome. And um, we really have great clients who make amazing products.
0: Yeah, that, that is so cool. <laughs> yes. And we were admiring too, like, because you have a couple different websites to advertise all these services between what you're doing with law and what you're doing with speaking. And Cammie and I were like, her photos are so fun. We love her bright outfits, we love her earrings. Like, <laughs> we were <laughs> we jumped in the chat earlier. We yeah, were like, we're going to get a hot pink power suit, like, actually, <laughs> <Ashley>, because <laughs> that is <laughs>
2: Yeah, we try to keep it really cool.
0: Yeah, we're going to have you send us, like, your very favorite, like, headshot, obviously, that we're going to use to share with our viewers. And, yeah, we were just like, oh, she has so much spunk. This is going to be the best. Um, So... Um, Our next kind of like follow up question, too, is um, how did you kind of realize that you wanted to be an entrepreneur and set out on your own within the law field instead of being part of a firm? Like when was that, you know, like the crossroads and how did that happen for you?
2: Definitely. So that is a really good question. I went to so my when I first got into law school, I was at a lower rank law school in Chicago and I had a mentor who was like, you know, the real money in law is where Working at large law firms and she really broke down to me the economy like basically the economies that happen in the law in the legal world. So if you graduate from my first law school, the average salary was like 50 grand. And at Northwestern, the average salary out of law school was 160 grand. There was a $100,000 difference, which is why I transferred. So my goal was always to be at a firm. And when I went to Northwestern, I got the grades. I wanted to work at Kirkland and Ellis, which is a very large law firm in Chicago. They handled the BP oil spill cases and they're a global firm. So I was there. I was loving it. I got the job at Kirkland. It was my dream job. And then I negotiated a six figure raise to go to another firm. So I was like, probably at like 300 grand (laughs) before I became an entrepreneur. And the only reason why I ever left law firm life was because although my first firm was great, my second firm was a really intense, hostile work environment for me and so I was just so unhappy there even though I was making a ton of money and it was almost to the point where not only was I not happy with the environment and the way people were talking to me and being treated but I was also unhappy with the level of support so at these firms you may only have like five or six cases but typically they're so large and there's so much going on that you have a paralegal, an assistant, etc. to help you out and at my first firm I mean my paralegal had two paralegals and an assistant that worked under her so everyone was well supported at my second firm it was like the exact opposite like everything was on me and (laughs) the partner that I worked for actually one day I remember her telling me to come in her office and sit down and she chewed me out for using a paralegal and I was just like I don't even understand where I am. Is this like the twilight zone? Am I being punked? So, oh my so at God. that point, <laughs> it's like, okay, you're making a ton of money. You have absolutely no support. You're handling all your clients pretty much on your own. The partners are not very friendly to you, at least the ones in my specific group. And so I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I could do this on my own. And one of the benefits of that second firm, though, was that I really learned how to run a case on my own, how to essentially do the role of a paralegal, an assistant and an attorney. And I learned how to operate without a lot of support or guidance from anyone. And I was handling um, pretty substantial litigation matters and substantial matters for companies who did not have their own lawyer in house. Whereas at my first firm, the companies were huge, like Allstate, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, etc. So the second firm, the, the companies were smaller, but they were still, you know, bringing in like multi-million dollars a year. So it was a great experience from that vantage point but I was so unhappy there that I basically just one day was like I just can't do this anymore <laughs> like this is not going to work and um, I I left I mean they, they gave me this weird it was like this weird meeting that happened with me and HR and they were like well we know you're thinking about leaving so you know you can leave and they knew I was thinking about leaving because I you know this is very for anyone listening if you're thinking about leaving your job do not do what I did what I did was I called HR and was like so if I were to leave this place what do I need to to do. <laughs> oh of course. I, and I was an employment lawyer, so I knew the risk. But when I did this, they immediately called the head of the firm and was like, She's going to leave the firm. So they basically fired me after that. They were like, Well, you can leave today. Like, this is your. This is your last day. So if you're thinking of leaving your job, do not be like me. Don't tell anyone, just like, get all your ducks in a row first and then give them your notice on the day you want to leave. But I was like, I'm going to plan this out. What type of letter do I need to write? What do I need to do? Like, how do I get out of this place? (laughs) Which is so bad. That is like, this is the worst thing you can do if you're at a job. Um, But that's like basically what I did. And so I left and the problem is... When you work at a law firm, you can't start a law firm because there's a huge conflict of interest. So on the day I left my six-figure job, 300 grand, I had zero clients and zero prospects. So the first day of me being an entrepreneur, I was really excited, but... After the excitement wore off, I was like, oh, crap, I don't have any more money. (laughs) So I need to get clients and I need to do something quickly to get money. And legal work is not something it's not an impulse buy for most people. So I started building my brand via Instagram, putting out content, and it took a solid six months until we had our first like 10 or $15,000 month at the law firm. However, I started speaking right away. And that's how I was able to make money within that first six month period. Period by selling the book that I told you about earlier, and I planned my very own um, books, book and speaking tour by reaching out to colleges directly. And I just hit the ground running, sold books in bulk, did presentations all over the country. I would fly anywhere; I flew Spirit, no shame. <laughs> like I was <lived laughs> all over the country speaking and started making great money from that. In the meantime, my firm was still growing and developing and, and building our client base.
0: That's incredible. Okay, so I love so many elements of that story. Honestly, I would be like you. I would probably call HR. Like, no shame. Like, I would be like, how (laughs) do I do this? Like, I fall in that category. Um, But what I love is that you mentioned that even though this job – like you didn't like how you were being treated, you you hated it, you still learned to do all the pieces because they weren't giving you support. So in a way that like negativity of that they weren't supporting you helped you set out on your own because you understood everything you needed. Does yes. that make sense? Do you no, think it, it did does. help
2: you in the long run? No, it really does. It really, really does. Um, and, and honestly, you know, I think <laughs> at first I was so mad about the experience and I couldn't really see the positive. But I am one of those people that if you if something negative happens to you, you have to in order for you to get through it, get by it and move on and to do well in life, you have to look at it like that. Like, all right, I didn't love it, but I learned how to work without an assistant. It taught it gave me the confidence, really, to just go out on my own after leaving such a large firm. And really. For a lot of your listeners that are maybe um, side hustlers or part-time um, entrepreneurs, they may not want to leave because of the prestige of their job. So there's a lot of prestige that goes with graduating from a great law school, working at a mega law firm. I mean, we could get reservations at almost any place in Chicago by saying I was like from Kirkland. Like I would use it all the time to get reservations <laughs> at nice restaurants. And like even if they were sold out, I'd be like, really? Because you know I'm at Kirkland, and I think we bring clients here all the time. They'd be like, oh yeah, absolutely, Miss Kirkland. We'll, we'll get you right it. It was crazy. But like all of that, I was really worried about giving all of that up. And in order to leave, you have to know that your brand is just as important as any of these large brands that you work for. and take the positive with it.
0: Yes. Yeah. You did a great job. You clearly did a great job, like hitting the ground running, and the fact too that you said, you know, six months. Relatively, six months isn't that long to be able to bring in that kind of money. um For some people, it takes years. Granted, when you're within law, I think there's a little more like cash flow there. <laughs> it's a little higher price. The price um, point, yeah. The service that you're, the service that you're offering, but I. Uh, it's just such a cool story because our audience really is a lot of people who maybe they have a hobby, maybe they're in a low paying day job. So your story is so interesting because you came from something that was so <laughs> high paying. The fact that you're like, oh, yeah, I made $300,000 a year and went completely the opposite direction. But that shows how important it was to you to do your own thing, that that's what lit the fire. Um that that's what fueled you. And you're like, I could leave this behind to do what I love. Uh. I think it's so cool.
2: Thank you. And the time, because you work really hard for that money. If, if someone in corporate is paying you yeah. over, the, over six figures, I mean, you're working probably 12 to 15 hour days. Like we were working. Yeah. If I had trial, I would sometimes go like months with only sleeping four hours a night, which ended up really affecting my health. And it was just, I didn't realize how bad it was until I got out of it. And my husband actually has recently been like, you know, you're so calm and you cook every day and you make us breakfast. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Like things I would never do when I was in corporate.
1: Yeah. I mean, your time is so important too, just to have like your personal life as well. Like at what cost, you know, I'm sure you're making a lot of money, but at what cost? I always think of that. Um, and then you talked about just like hitting the ground running with Instagram being your like main focus. Can you talk about your strategy there? Were you like trying were you trying to target creative businesses or did it just kind of play out that way? What was your strategy like for building that business from nothing? basically?
2: Definitely. So at first, my strategy, I hired a business coach um, and I worked with someone. She works at uh, Kaden K Consulting. Her name's Bianca. She was really good. She was like the first person that I hired. So I hired her before i would made any money in my business so for people who are out there and they're just starting I think it is ludicrous to be just starting and not have something like I didn't do a whole VIP day and spend thousands but I did at least her consult and I did that because she was already making money using social media so if you're just starting out first hire a coach that's like the first part of the strategy and not just any coach but someone that you see making money online or making money in the same way that you'd like to make money and then secondly um She gave me a lot of good information and I essentially built my firm using two strategies. One, Facebook and Instagram live videos three to five times a week. And then two, um, going in and like directly messaging business owners via Instagram.
0: Okay. So you directly contacted them?
2: Yeah, I directly contacted them just like introducing myself and then I would offer them. um, I had... At that time, I would just just have a conversation like, hey, I like your page. And really specifically, I would contact business owners who were already following me. OK, uh, yes, yeah. so it's like, re- like people who didn't know me, but I would go into my followers because I had, you know, before I left my job, I had done a YouTube show where I interviewed entrepreneurs who hated their day jobs and left to do something they love. So I did that for a year. So there were a lot of entrepreneurs okay. that were following me because of that content. They just didn't know about my new venture. So I went into the followers and I was like, hey, thanks so much for following me, you know, just so you know i'd love to find out more about your business and by the way do you have a trademark already so just asking them questions because they were already following me so they already wanted content from me for for some reason so it wasn't totally left field
1: okay yes that is so awesome it's very timely too because um, we have a private facebook group um for our members and one of them just asked about basically dming people on instagram to sell her services and i was like i don't that's like such a great strategy. Like I would rather email them and like make it very tailored toward them. But the fact that you were like, Oh no, I went through my followers list and found someone who actually knew who I was like that. I think that tiny little tweak makes a huge difference in that, um, reaching out and where they're actually gonna be like, Oh, yeah, I know who you are, (laughs) instead of just being like, who are you? Um, When you're DMing them. And I love that your two strategies are basically just all about connection and utilizing social media in a way that we don't often do. A lot of times we're just like, post and run post and use hashtags, but we never think about the effects that live videos and actually making those Connections by reaching out to the one person um, can really have, and that's that's just really cool. It's, I think it's a great strategy to implement for any kind of business, really. Um, in terms of taking advantage of those live oh
2: videos. yeah, live videos are crucial. I remember one day I'd stopped doing live videos for like two weeks, and it was because I, well I'm pregnant now, so <laughs> when I was in my
1: first
0: oh year,
2: <laughs> yeah it's our first kid after almost eight years of marriage, so we're super oh excited. God. Which is, that's honestly another reason I was I never thought about having kids when I was in corporate because I worked way too much. But now it's like, oh, I could so do this. Um, Uh My first (laughs) trimester, I didn't go live at all. And I was like, okay, well, I have to build the business before the baby comes. (laughs) And so now, you know, I've hired another lawyer, which is awesome. But I did one live video after not doing any for maybe four or six weeks. And that one live video brought in $4,000 of revenue within 24 hours. And there was people that were like, oh, my God, Ashley, thank you so much. I've been thinking about getting this trademark with you. Like, I'm going to book. I want a trademark. Like two people bought trademarks and they paid in full solely based on the live video.
0: That's amazing. I'm like blown away right now. I'm like, how can I leverage this strategy? <laughs> yeah. I know, My wheels are turning. That's why I'm not speaking. Cause I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> like,
1: what am I doing? Uh, so that's, that's really cool. And I guess with like a higher price point of a sale, I feel like live videos are probably more beneficial than like just a post, um, because you can actually answer questions and it just seems more, more engaged and more connected. Um, Do you think that that makes sense that it's more important to do a live video than just a post when it comes to higher selling? um, Definitely.
2: And you can stair-step it. So our process is typically live video or a post or a call to action. And then we invite them to do a consult and that consult's only $99. And it's a legal consult, legal strategy session. And within that, we talk more about the actual service that they're interested in. And we can even offer them some other services that they may not have thought about. But the great thing is whether or not they work with us, they get value out of that strategy session. So for people who have higher ticket offers, a lot of people do, um, they do free consults. I don't do that only because it leads to, for me, the first like three months of the business, we tried doing free consults for like 15 or 20 minutes. And it, first off, they always went over. Second of all, people always just wanted free legal (laughs) advice, which is super dangerous because I don't know how you're going to implement this advice and we don't have any agreement. So- We thought that was not the best way to do it unless you already know the person. So I do think if you do a live video or you make a post, invite them to do something that maybe is a lower, lower price point and then but make sure they know the price of the big ticket item before they get on the phone. I think people are way more apt to say like, "Okay, it's fifty five hundred dollars. They know that beforehand, but I'm going to do this ninety nine dollar call and I'm going to find out more and I'm going to get some questions answered. Then then this whole like, oh, DM me for the price. Like, I don't like secretive pricing. (laughs) Like, I just won't work with the person. So I, I think just tell people the price, at least in my experience. It's been great. Like, it's been very good transparent pricing trademarks are two thousand dollars um in 2019 in 2020 in january we're going to keep that price the same but it may go up based on the uspt the trademark office may be doing some changes but people always know because i would say it in the video like it's two thousand dollars but the console only 99 and then we also have get the t on trademarks which is less than 300 dollars, and that teaches you how to file your trademark yourself so we give them options at different price points but at least they know what they're getting into
0: I think you're right. I think that's so smart um, and can be really applied to like any industry, ours included, um, because I know Cammie and I are big proponents of like at least for custom wedding stationery we put a starting price up. It can vary so much, but you're not doing yourself any good by hiding that and then having people so many people come and ask just for pricing. That's that's time in your day that you have to deal with that, that you have to answer it. Why not be up front? Why not put it out there and then that person can make an educated decision about whether or not that's right for their budget and and take the next steps. And I like that. I really love that idea. Of of that kind of small ticket, it's almost like a tripwire yeah. <laughs> where you like get them in the door and you build trust and build value. And if they see that the value you've given them for $99 is amazing, then of course they're going to take the next step to do the big thing with you or to buy the big ticket item. Um. It's just now uh, my wheels are turning again for like, how can I apply this to my own business? Or how can the wedding industry utilize this? And because I know a lot of wedding vendors, wouldn't you agree, Cammy can be like pretty secretive about pricing? Yes, it's so weird.
1: <laughs> like, you always feel I'm like, why is this a big secret? Like, and I think that there's also a level of trust too when you're upfront with your clients and just be like, this is what it is. It's not like it's like, I feel like clients might think, that if you have to ask for pricing, that it might change depending on all different types of situations or whatnot. I don't know. There's just a level of trust that comes when you're just like, the price is this. It's yeah, it for they <laughs> to tell other people and <laughs> um, refer you as well. Right. Oh, yeah. That's 100% true as well. Another great point is that they can be like, this is what it was. It wasn't just like, oh, DM me for the price. Like, that is so <laughs> bizarre to me. <laughs> but I'm a very upfront person and the price is the price. So, so yeah. That's... um Great strategy there. Okay, so switching gears just a little bit, can you? Since we've been talking about trademarks and how you're selling them, can you just tell us a little bit about why it's so important for creative businesses to consider a trademark for their business?
2: Definitely. So this is the example that I'll give because this is a a horrifying story that a lot of people don't think about until it happens. So imagine, you know, your mom or your best friend calls you tomorrow and they're like, "Hey." Have you opened up a store in Dallas? And you're like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, okay, because there's a business that's using your name that's saying they do the exact same thing as you. And I didn't know if it was you or not. And they're like taking traffic from your website, they're going through your followers and adding all of them. What would you do? I mean, most people would be horrified and angry, but they wouldn't quite know what the next step is. And it's even worse. If you don't own a trademark, so a trademark essentially protects your brand from that level of infringement and it keeps people from being able to legally use your name or duplicate your brand so you can trademark your brand name your slogan your product line names Um, you can trademark your colors your brand colors if they have a certain level of distinctiveness so it really allows you to own that name a lot of people own their business but they don't own their business assets it's almost like your um, domain name if you have the podcast the biz birthday bash but you don't own bizbirthdaybash.com you can own the, the podcast but you don't own the domain someone else owns it and you have to pay them for that so you want to make sure you own your business name with the federal government to protect it in all 50 states
1: Okay. Well, both of us don't have our businesses trademarked. So now I don't know why but just like one of those things you put off. But do you recommend doing this like right when you start your business? Or is it like, Oh, wait a year, make sure that's the name you want? Or what is your advice on that?
2: Definitely. So my advice would be once you know for sure that you want to utilize that name and you don't want anyone else to use it, get it trademarked. So most of my clients, um, they get their name trademarked after they've settled on a name. And the great thing about it is once we do our um, our trademark package so you come to me you're like all right this is the name we do a full search on that name and sometimes we find that that name isn't available which is another reason you get a trademark so if you don't get a trademark for a year and then you learn after a year there's this whole other business that's been operating with that name that just doesn't have as large of a presence they technically still own it so you have to change your name anyways so you don't want to wait too late right. to get it trademarked. I would get it trademarked as soon as you know that you, you've come up with the name, you like the name, you're in love with the name, you want to start branding under that name, get it trademarked then. Because it is horrifying to spend all this money on branding and signage and, and stationery and then you have to change the name.
0: I'm like getting super scared (laughs) because I'm (laughs) sweating. Well, because both Cami and I are undergoing like huge rebrands in the new year. We're keeping our names, but we're just like redoing the website and logos and like up, like up leveling all of that. So now I'm like, oh my god, she's saying all the things to me, and I check off all these boxes, and (laughs) I need to
1: like. Well, we can definitely help you guys with that too. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I know. Uh, I think we'll be chatting, um, (laughs) needless to say. So, all right. Talk a little bit uh, for our audience, just to define the difference between a copyright and a trademark, because this trips up people in our industry all the time. Um, So if you can give like a quick little uh, spiel about the difference, that would be wonderful.
2: Yeah, for sure. So, um let's say you're at a you plan an event for a celebrity and um the paparazzi is there because they follow celebrities everywhere and the paparazzi takes a picture of the event and the decor that you planned you see the picture on tmz and you post that picture on your instagram do you think you own the picture or do you think the paparazzi owns it Paparazzi. Yep. So the paparazzi oh, owned it. Exactly. So sadly, right, even though it's your it's your hard <laughs> yes. work. If you were to post that picture, the paparazzi would send you probably a cease and desist letter for copyright infringement because their artistic work was the physical um, picture they took that picture. So essentially they created that artistic work. Copyrights protect images. They protect books. They protect artistic works, written works for anyone who has an online course. It protects the content of that course. If you all were to um, turn all of your podcast interviews into blog posts, copyright would protect that. But the actual name under which you operate would go to your trademark. Your brand name would go to your trademark. Your your slogan would be something that you can have trademarked. But that the actual items that your business creates, the written works and things would be copywritten.
0: Okay. Okay. That is like the perfect description. And you did that in like a minute and it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much. Um okay so Cammy, I think are we ready to like switch gears and talk a little bit about speaking? Yes, this is yeah. a totally like, <laughs> <180 sure>. now.
1: <laughs> so going into speaking. <laughs> yeah, that's you're so multifaceted in all your businesses. So it's really fun. Okay, so let's talk about speaking. Um, when did you actually begin doing speaking engagements? Um, I, well, I guess you said at the beginning, but can you just talk more about that process?
2: Definitely. So prior to starting my business full time, I did some speaking engagements for pay, but it was a lot more. I I, it was I didn't do any outbound marketing for it. It was all inbound leads, people who'd seen me in a jury trial or they'd seen me win a speech competition and they were like, "Okay, well, can you speak here? We'll pay you. And whatever they paid me, I was fine with. I was like, "Okay, whatever. Three, four hundred dollars. Who cares? This is great. I'm getting paid to do what I love. So it was not formalized at all. It became a business in 2018, when I started doing outbound work. So I think one of the big things you have to know about getting paid to speak is you are going to have to have an outbound marketing strategy. And we like to call that our sales plan as speakers. And one of the things that we teach in Speak Your Way to Cash is how to have a sales plan and a press plan. So you want to have, you want to be doing the right types of press that your clients will see. These are, typically corporate or college clients, so that they're inviting you to speak. And then you also want to have an outbound sales strategy where you're actually pitching organizations and conferences to speak as well.
0: Okay, wow. Yeah, that's that's a lot to like digest too. Of, of, holy cow, like there's a whole entire marketing like there's a lot of marketing that goes behind that because like the few times that I've stumbled upon speaking somewhere has just been because of a connection or I've been invited but I've never taken the steps to reach out for that stuff and I haven't even really s- taken the time to think of like where the ideal places to speak would be so I'm assuming that's a lot of like what you said what you're teaching and, and speak your way to cash um and, th- and that's your course right
2: Yes, and Speak Your Way to Cash is our course, and I'll send you guys a link for that. Oh, sweet. Um, and I'll even do, I'll do like a discount for the podcast listeners.
0: Oh, that would be awesome. awesome. <laughs> yeah,
2: I'll definitely do that. One of the things to consider, though, is you probably know where your clients are. So who would you say your ideal clients are for your business?
0: Um, well, that's what's so tricky within like the within the wedding industry of uh, where would they show up? Uh, I mean like high paying people who just want someone to do everything for them for custom wedding invitations. Like they're shopping at Jimmy Choo. They are going out and having like a really fun night on the town, a really fun date with their significant other. Um, but it's always. So these are like individuals. Me. Yes, they're individuals. Kami um, and I work like one-on-one with a lot of clients. So it's hard for me to like place them like, where would they hear me speak type of thing? That's hard for me to conceptualize. Yeah, there's two,
1: two facets. Like you could do, inter- I mean, now we're just going on to tangent <laughs> here, but it's like, like the whole education side of things, Elizabeth, that you've spoken on, you know, you talk about how you run your business and things like QuickBooks Connect conference, those kinds of things. But in terms of doing it for like the wedding side of things, you need to be in front of brides in order to... That's like the target audience, obviously, is engaged couples. Um, That's a little different. Um, I think it's easier to... Pitch yourself as like the educator on how to run a business, and then you'd be pitching to you know like colleges. Oh yeah, or that's other true. Like, or
0: <laughs> that kind of thing. I wasn't even thinking in <laughs> that space. I was immediately thinking of like wedding invitations. I have yeah. got you. Cammy's <laughs> got <laughs> a better. I mean,
2: those are good points. So what I'd like people to think about is like you know your industry. So if you're targeting people who are soon to get married, then I would target um retreats for engaged couples because that everyone there is going to get married and they haven't had the wedding just yet. Okay. Um, so those would be a really good uh-huh. ideal idea to find, you know, a retreat where all these engaged couples will be and you have all of your products there. And maybe the session you pitch is about Finding an affordable way to make your wedding beautiful, like what the stationery means for your wedding and how to select stationery and things of that nature. And then also those bridal trunk shows are really cool. And if you could do a pop up shop there, that's another place where you could speak and talk to your ideal audience as well. But in terms of your press plan, you probably want to write for all the wedding magazines, like top 10 things to do before you say um, yes to the dress, but it could also be about the stationery. <laughs> so finding like those mediums where your people already are and those, those conferences and those um, organizations, conferences will have places that they'll pay you, but you would probably in order to get paid, you'd maybe want to find like an association of event planners because they would pay you outright, And because they're in the industry, I know that you market a lot to individuals, but it may be a great idea to speak to other people who are in the industry who don't do exactly what you do. And you can set up a whole like referral database with them and still get paid by the association.
1: Right. Yeah. So like the association
2: would pay you, but the other people there who don't do what you do may want to enter your referral network.
1: Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. See, so many good ideas. Um, okay. So, with this, I'm calling, I'm going to call it a media kit, like your press mm-hmm. plan thing. Is that basically what it is? Do you recommend having like those, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like experiences under your belt, like, oh, here's the things I've written for. Here's the type of press I've done like already. Or is it just enough to be like, I am a highly sought after wedding stationer or, or whatever? <laughs> but, or do you recommend having um, those like, actual media content things that you can point back to and be like, here's my, what is the word I'm looking for? Resume? out yeah, here. <laughs> uh, resume? No, it's not it. I can't think of the word. But anyway, just having those um, articles and blog posts and things under your belt. So if too. you
2: don't have, there's a couple of different ways to do it. If you don't have actual press, that section in the media kit where people, and if anyone, you know, Canva actually is where a great free place to make a media kit. If you type in media kit on Canva.com, Lots of templates will come up. So if you don't have actual press logos to place where a lot of people place that, what I would do is consider putting a partnerships tab there and list some logos of your past clients or list logos of past podcasts you've been on, list logos of past blogs you've written for, anything of that nature would be good. You can also list for you all your podcast stats to show the audience that you have and the reach that you have. So you can do like global reach and put like, I don't know, 50,000 or 100,000 or a million downloads. That's going to be really attractive as well because most media is just looking for, you know, whether you're legit or not.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's the word I was looking for with credibility, (laughs) guys. Like credibility, (laughs) yeah. So that'll be great. You
2: can even put stats like, you know, planned Um, over or 5,000 happy brides under my belt or something like that.
0: Huh. So interesting. Yeah. I love, I love that idea. This is coming at the perfect time for me because I have been doing like a a arrangement of, like assortment gosh i am at a loss for words today and we cannot think of words today so clearly we're not ready to speak <laughs> an assortment of like speaking engagements um this past year and and then when i was in san francisco i actually was on a panel at Dreamforce, ashley if you're familiar yeah. with that conference some um, sales puts it on and it was so out of the blue and i was so surprised and shocked I think that I like even ended up there um and I was in my hotel room and kind of all of a sudden was like should I be making a resume for all my speaking engagements? And this is basically what you're speaking into right now. Um, and now I am going to literally go a Google media kit on Canva. Like the moment we are done with the interview, because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling so inspired. I need to write down all these things. Like, so this is very exciting for me. So thanks for like imparting some of the wisdom. And we and we still have more questions, which is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um so okay so playing off that when you're starting off building your resume like elizabeth is doing now with her speaking engagements um do you think it's good to take on speaking engagements that are not paid um just to kind of build that resume up or are you in the mindset like oh you you're speaking you get paid like what is what are your thoughts on that well it,
2: you can do unpaid speaking engagements but you need to get something out of them So every engagement should be Mm -hmm. moving you in the direction of your ultimate goal. So all of us have businesses outside of simply speaking, which means there is a cost to our time, regardless of whether we speak or not. So essentially, if I could. It may be more beneficial for me to drum up business in my law firm than to travel to a whole nother state for a free engagement. So you have to analyze that. But if you're going to do a free engagement, the three things you should definitely get are review videos from the people that are there. You should have them take professional photos and you should see if they'll provide the videographer.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah,
2: that's a really smart. So idea. if they be those three things, then that free engagement is very valuable. Because what I do, even if I'm being paid for an engagement, typically I reserve 10% of whatever I'm being paid to hire a photographer and a videographer.
0: Okay. So you bring them along with you into the event.
2: Yes. And so because I speak in different states, I typically use thumbtack, someone with good reviews on thumbtack to, you know, cover the engagement. Okay. If I can. So this this week um, or in December, since I don't, I don't know when this will post, but in December, I will be speaking at a large mm-hmm. advertising firm, but it's on sexual harassment training. So because this, the topic is so sensitive, I'm not going to record. Okay. But what I may do is um, have a photographer there with me, or I may do something that I haven't done before, and do basically like a behind the scenes video, like, hey, guys, you know, I'm heading on into this corporation right now. We're going to talk about this. I'll check back in with you after it's over. And so do like a before and after recap of the engagement, just because that helps with me getting additional engagements. It helps people to see what I'm doing. But I always like to get some footage of an event.
1: Okay. Um, And then when you have the recorded video or audio, perhaps, do you um, promote that To Just by sending it as part of your speaking resume or do you share it with your audience? How does that work? What are you using that content for?
2: Definitely. And I would say both. So because I also train other speakers, I post it in a way that's like, hey, love this engagement. Flew in, flew out. $4,500 in 50 minutes. Who wouldn't love that? And they'll see me speaking there, I'll talk about the rate that I got, I'll talk about how I landed the client, and that'll be good content for that. But also when you have the review videos and the little two minute I I get two videos typically the recap video which has a review from the client, a snippet of the speech and a review from the audience. And then I get the full speech. So I'll post the full speech and the review video. But that little four minute video, I call it like a speaker's reel. I send a link to that with the pitch to a new client. Ah. So now you can pitch an industry. So you had Dreamforce hire you. That's great. I would pitch every other CRM provider with any footage or reviews you have from that particular engagement because they're all in the same industry, which means they're going to know their competitors and they're going to recognize the name and they're going to say, well, she's good enough for them. She's good enough for us. We'd love to hire you to do X, Y, and Z. So now that I'm doing some work for an ad firm, I'm going to pitch all other advertising firms.
0: Okay. Because they'll
2: have a similar thought process. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's what's been so funny for me is I I have ended up speaking at these places where like QuickBooks Connect and Dreamforce where I'm like this is so outside my usual industry, but they are clearly asking me for a reason. Um so I never thought of like remarketing myself basically or like bringing along my own press people like i love that idea like in the future i'm gonna find a photographer locally for sure because you know i think i have iphone photos from these events and (laughs) that's like it (laughs) sadly
2: but at least you have that so i would start compiling all of those together and just make it a page on your website that's like speaking yes and you can book here or do an informational call with me there now for potential speaking clients i don't I, of course, don't charge them for consults because I'm pitching them totally. It's like a totally different field. Yes.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. Them,
2: I, get on the phone, I learn about their event. I find out more information and then I present them with a proposal. And so in the speaking rate of cash trading, we have like sample pitches because for a lot of people, it's very difficult for them to pitch originally. because they're like, well, I don't know what to say. What should I have in there? So we have sample pitches. So it's kind of like plug and play.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um and I'm sure that would be super beneficial to anyone. I'm lucky Kami and I are like never at a loss for words. It could be it's like a weakness and a strength at the same time. Uh, but also like the <laughs> thing is that even though I I feel like I'm never at a loss of words, sometimes you don't have the right formula to say. And so that would be like super helpful for anyone like me included to be able to have an insider look into what you're doing. Um, I think moving on to Oh wait! Oh, no, you I have do. Question. Okay, go for it. <laughs> yes, did. Okay.
1: So, um, okay. So, Ashley, when you're pitching these things, are you primarily pitching like your like a signature speech that you have, where you present like kind of the same thing that you have like packaged up and ready to go, or are you creating new content every single time with your with your speaking engagements? How how does that work?
2: That's a great question. Yeah, I'm pitching a signature speech, typically. Okay. But for um, you know the sexual harassment and diversity trainings that I do, I do have a signature speech for that. But it's not. It's I don't know how to say like it's not really out yet. If that makes sense. So I basically, <laughs> when I want to launch a signature speech, my goal is to do a TEDx talk like previewing that signature speech. And then I send that out as a link when I'm pitching. So the currency of confidence has been the speech that I did all last year. And that was all about the mindset, beliefs, and actions of successful people, or if it's a college, successful students. And that's been a great speech. This year, we're launching Feelings Over Figures, which is all about diversity and how we should be having a conversation less about the stats and more about the actual emotions and empathy that goes along with respecting all people. And once that TEDx comes out, I'm going to use that as the signature speech that I pitch when wanting to talk about diversity issues in these corporations. But for now, because I don't have that footage yet, because it takes TEDx long, a long, long, long time <laughs> to post it <the> <laughs> you speak, um, I am essentially just pitching them on. I'll like tell them about the topic, but I don't have the video footage to show them the topic. And I think video just makes It makes it so much easier to pitch because when they see your video and it's a good video, high quality, et cetera, they're far more likely to respond to your email. Because if you send the initial email in that first email you send them, don't make it too long. Add in some bullets, but have a link. And most people will click the link. And if they're remotely interested, they'll say, "Okay, this is pretty cool. I'd love to. I'll set up a call with you. Sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, kudos to you for sure. You do so well at this because when you pitched us or, or your assistant or whoever sent the email, it was so easy for me to forward that email to Cami, And I was like, this is a yes. That's basically what I said. I was like, because we saw all your videos, all your photos, all the things that you've done in the past. And so for you to basically like use what you're going to get from that TEDx video to pitch corporations on this topic is it's going to be amazing it's going to be you already know this it's going to make the yes so much easier because you're right it's like that the era that we're in watching the video seeing somebody um speak seeing how they speak the tone of their voice um it makes a huge difference and what a cool topic by the way that i think i think that'll be absolutely wonderful
2: Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, the signature speech helps a lot. And you do want to make it about them. So when I pitched you all, it was like, okay, what your audience will love, like, I'd love to teach them these three strategies. And I was pretty specific. And it's the same way when you're pitching corporations, you can't say like, Oh, I've done all these things. I'm so great because of all these reasons, but they don't know what you're going to do for them.
1: Hmm. Yeah. That's the thing with pitches. I think it's the more specific you can get and be like, here's what I can do for you is like really the name of the game. Um, previous to this job, I worked at a magazine. and I got all kinds of pitches all the time. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, they run the gamut where it's just like four pages long, a 10 page PDF. And I'm like, what is this? But like when they're 16 <laughs> to the point, the bullet points, praise the Lord. I love some bullet points and pitches. I think that's great. So yeah, you that's very, very good advice um, to make it all about them and not necessarily all about you definitely
2: so you'd be great at pitching the press because you've seen so many pitches
0: <laughs> yeah see now I get, i'll get, that, get right <laughs> on on that, is <laughs> great at pitching she's like if we do ever reach out to people she's normally the one that writes those emails because i'm like i'm just gonna let you do this this is like your strength and i get like too boring <laughs> i'm like too boring i think <laughs> <laughs> oh, no you're just very to the point like you just have zero fluff <laughs> <Not sure>. yeah yeah <laughs> um so Cammy, can i ask the next question or do you still have a okay yes go ahead go ahead (laughs) um so ashley you kind of started off you started off with a bang basically when you left your firm and you started speaking right away but what was the realization along that line of like i could make a living from speaking and and not that you're only making a living from speaking because obviously you have your law firm but when did that kind of click for you that aha moment of i want to keep doing this and this makes sense for my business
2: yeah, so, you know, it really started to click after the after, you know, well, that first six months when I was really getting people to say like, OK, well, I'll buy 50 bucks and <laughs> I'll pay you to speak and I'll pay you to come out and I'll pay like when, when the first time someone was like, all right, we're going to give you forty five hundred dollars. And it's 30 minutes. I was just like, oh, man, this is great because <laughs> it's so, It's not it's not hard for me to speak, especially when you're when you craft your signature speech. And this is something else that we talk about and speak your way to cash the Facebook group and on the podcast and in the, the training is if you have a signature speech with a framework so for mine the currency of confidence the framework is mba mindset beliefs and actions after you have that framework you can then tailor mindset beliefs and actions to any audience but you already know exactly what your framework is for each speech and for the diversity speech our framework is love listening being open-minded um validating the person even if you don't agree with their beliefs and then having empathy so i can I can like make that framework work for any audience and tailor it for yes. any audience. So after you have that, You're just doing the tailoring, having fun, figuring out how to make the speech better each and every time, but you're not working laboriously on it. And then after it's over, it's over. There's no follow up work. I mean, you do want to follow up with your clients and send them thank you gifts and all of that, (laughs) but it's not hard work. (laughs) It's really fun work and you make a huge impact on people in a short period of time. So I think it was at that point that I was like, whoa, I need to really amp this up, pitch more schools um, and formalize my processes around it
0: yeah and who would have thought too like that i this is blowing my mind because i never would have thought oh you could you can make one speech and just tailor it to other people instead of speaking on something different every single time like that in itself is like a huge light bulb for me of well that makes so much sense like of course you're gonna Pitch this one topic, this thing you're really passionate about and have been working really hard at. You're you're the expert on it. You'll get better at
2: it each time. You'll have different examples for different audiences. Um, You'll have different, you know, funny moments for different audiences. You'll research different audiences. I love speaking to a member of the actual audience, not just the person who hires me, but if it's a school, I'd love to talk to students before my speech um, just to see like what their biggest complaints are about the topic that i'm going to speak on but yeah you're tailoring it but you have a framework and that is the hardest part for most people it's like okay what am i going to say after you have a basic framework you can put anything into that
0: yeah
1: yeah and you keep saying like oh it's not that hard of work it's not that hard work but i know there are people out there listening that are like public speaking what oh my god and you're making it sound like it's the easiest thing ever but like I mean, yeah. most people are terrified of public speaking. Let's be real. Um, so, can you give us some tips on how to combat that fear? Or you know, no, give it definitely. A stage, right? um, so, one of the things that
2: I would say is, it is, it's not hard work for me. But I've been speaking my whole life, and I did impromptu speech in high school. So, my whole the competition was like people would give me these random topics and I'd have a minute to write a seven minute speech, literally 60 seconds. Wow. And that was the competition. So I grew up kind of in that vein. So for me, speaking is, is what I love to do It's basically yeah. my gift. But if it's harder for you, I think having that framework written down will make it even easier. <laughs> so that's a good point that it may not be super easy for everyone, but most people, if they have a framework and they're, they know their topic they are going to be comfortable with that. So the the first thing I would say is like, I think confidence comes from preparation, whereas arrogance is based on like air. Like there's, if you're arrogant, if you have no basis for what you're saying, but you think you're the best at it, but there's mm-hmm. zero proof of that. <laughs> like that's arrogance, but yeah. confidence typically comes from preparation. So the more you prepare, The more you practice, practice in the mirror, record yourself speaking, work on getting better, Um, never think you've quote unquote arrived, but just make sure you practice so much that it becomes second nature.
0: Yeah, practicing is so important. And I'm the type of person who I can get annoyed with practicing, but when I do it, it makes a huge difference. I I can see that immediately. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I'm the kind of person who needs like a thousand <laughs> notes.
1: Otherwise, I just like lose my train of thought completely because I just get so excited about things. I don't know, so I feel like the person up there I have to like write it on my hand. <laughs> like, okay, here's my three topics or my three note points. Oh, uh, because I would just you know I get I go down the rabbit hole and then who knows where I'm going to come back yeah. from
0: that. But <laughs> so funny. Oh my um, gosh. Okay, Sorry. Ashley. Unless Cami has another follow up question, I don't want to Cammy, I don't want to take away from any uh, no. train of thought go you have. Um, Ashley. No, it's okay. gone. It's gone. <laughs> <laughs> we would love to know, Ashley, what you consider your biggest speaking accomplishment to date and what you consider your favorite. Because I'm curious whether they're the same or or different, if that makes sense.
2: Definitely. So I would say my biggest to date was probably landing the um, TEDx talk, my first TEDx talk, because it was just a, a huge goal of mine. And my favorite was probably performing my second TEDx talk because the first one that I did, I was so nervous because I had put so much, I guess I had hyped it up in my own mind so much <laughs> that it was when it happened, I was just like, Oh my God, I got the talk. I was like pacing back and forth, like trying to figure out what I was gonna say. And my husband was just like, you speak all the time. What is the big deal? But I had put so much into what it meant to do a TED talk that I was freaking myself out. But it was still my my biggest accomplishment. But my favorite accomplishment was doing my second TEDx talk because before like 10 minutes before the talk, one, I was pregnant doing the talk. <laughs> and then two, when I but no one knew at the time. So it was like hard to get dressed. It was just so much going on. But Ten minutes before the talk I actually threw out my prepared speech and decided to get out there and just tell stories which was crazy but it turned out to be so perfect and so much fun and so funny and like I love that talk because it was just it was about race but I wanted it to be funny because everyone makes it so complicated and scary i mean it is complicated but people just make it like I don't know it could be a very like a stressful topic so i really wanted to be fun and i was the last person speaking so i was like oh my gosh i cannot get up here and have this like really like horrible dark race conversation after they've seen other speakers (laughs) so i got up there i told stories it was so much fun and i just that was definitely like the highlight of my speaking journey so far
0: And is that the one you're waiting to get back from the recording? Okay, because I really look forward to seeing that um, when you get back. Is that something you're hearing? Yes. Okay, wonderful. I, I of course, want to watch your other one too. Yeah, I started watching
1: it this morning and obviously we started recording. So I got halfway through it, but I was dying laughing about you being the little kid with your (laughs) (laughs)
0: Bible.
1: Oh my gosh, but I'll finish up. Yeah,
0: it's amazing (laughs) that the connections you can make just by telling a story, Ashley. Um, And it was funny because I had a question. I had a question written and then I was like, oh, I got rid of it because I was like, I didn't think it would apply to the conversation. Now I'm like, oh, wow, you literally tied it together perfectly. Because talk about how, Tell us a little bit about how storytelling can just be like the greatest asset. Like you said, that made a huge difference in that speech. So can you embellish a little bit like the importance of storytelling within giving within within speaking anywhere?
2: Definitely, so I think that when you can tell a good story You can connect to people And they can see you as a human (laughs) And a real person Because as much as you know Especially with you all having a popular podcast You know, me being on Instagram And speaking and doing these things People make up really weird stories about you In their heads So when they meet you, they're like Oh, she's probably, you know, really uptight Or she probably had a perfect life Or she probably never dealt with confidence issues And when you tell stories, especially using humor It allows people to know the real you and feel more connected to you.
0: Yes. So true. It's that immediate connection almost. It is. Perfect. Um, This time has been absolutely wonderful. We do have one more totally unrelated question for you. What is one of your guilty pleasures? We would love for you to share with our audience.
2: Okay, perfect. So this is super random because now my guilty pleasure is pomegranates, which are not cheap fruit. They're like, I don't know why, but I spend like 20 bucks a a week on pomegranates. So so that's a horrible, expensive pleasure, but I eat like two a day sometimes but they're so good
0: (laughs) I would say that's a perfect guilty pleasure especially if you're eating that many because I just bought one at the store yesterday but you're right people normally buy them once every once in a while and i love that you're just like <laughs> loving the pomegranates lately yeah oh is this one of your pregnancy cravings right now just you know right i think days? it is because
2: like 7 a.m this morning i went and bought two pomegranates
0: <laughs> like i
1: woke Shut up the front thinking door. About it. <laughs> this is amazing oh my gosh, i love it <laughs> I, love, I love that so much that was not an answer i was expecting i gotta say that one really threw me for a loop but i really i love it and those aren't easy to open, too. So props to you for taking on the challenge. Yes, definitely.
2: My husband always <laughs> said, "I'm not going through all that for
1: fruit. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't worth it. Just go with an apple." But anyway, okay. So we have loved having you on the podcast today. We've already—I mean, we both have learned so much. This has been so awesome, and it's just been such a joy to speak to you. And we just yeah, want to say thank you thing. so much. We really appreciate thank you. it. So. Um, Ashley, can you just tell everyone where they can find you on social media and your website?
2: Definitely. So you can go to Ashley Nicole Kirkwood.com. Everything is there. And also you can find me on Facebook in the Speak Your Way to Cash Facebook group where we I'm always in there sharing live videos and giving out tips on speaking. And on Instagram, it's at the Ashley Nicole Show. So you can just hit me up in the DMs. I'm always on Instagram. I love the platform. And yeah, I can't wait to connect with you guys. And for legal stuff, mobile
0: Okay, perfect. I know I'm like literally typing this into Instagram right now <laughs> because I'm like, I don't want to forget to find you. Um yes. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ashley. Um, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And this comes out in January. So we'll be following up with you. And if for those of you listening, if you are enjoying the show, please go give us a rating and a review on iTunes so that other creatives and small business owners can find us and learn from amazing guests like Ashley that we have on this podcast. Thank you. Bye, everyone. See you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye.